0: I'm gonna start a new series tonight. I'm so pumped about this. It's been like stirring in my heart, in my life for a few years. And um, it's really important. I'm not gonna tell you what the title of the series is though till we get like maybe two thirds into the message. And so you just gotta bear with me because I gotta lay some groundwork. Are you up for it? All right, a couple rules. The more you're into it, the more you'll get out of it. The more you shout me down, the better I'll preach. And that goes for you at South, too. The more you shout me down, the better I'll preach. All right? Now, if you want to snooze, you're not going to get anything out of this. All right? So stand up if you have to. Run around the room a few times if you need to. Lean in. Come on. Some of you have been to churches like this before. Just do a lap. It's fine. It's, a permis- it's permissible. Okay? <laughs> but lean into what God has to say to you. All right? Come on. All right. John chapter 5, Jesus is, um, Jesus has a really weird encounter with a dude, but he shows up to a man who's got real problems, like very serious problems, I think probably more serious than any of us have at this given moment, because this man has not been able to walk. He is an invalid, and there's no medical solution in first century Palestine Jewish territories. There's no solution. And so this man is in a very desperate situation, and survival is really his only focus. In John chapter 5, it says that Jesus went up to Jerusalem to celebrate a Jewish festival. And it says, now there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five colored covered colonnades. There's lots of imagery and analogy and metaphor in all of this. I'm not going to teach through it tonight because I've got something else I've got to get to. We will another day. But let me just say this, that it is not an accident that Jesus comes into the sheep gate because this is the gate where the people would drive sheep into the city that were destined to be slaughtered in order to provide a payment for the people's sin. And every year the sheep would come in through this gate. It's not an accident that Jesus walks through this gate. He is foreshadowing what he ultimately came to do, which is to be the final sacrifice for sin that he would walk through that gate and later he would lay down his life as the permanent payment for all of humanity's sins. And so it is under this redemptive imagery that Jesus shows up to a pool that's right by by the Sheep Gate called Bethesda. And it was not a good scene. It says that here, a great number of disabled people would lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And the reason why they would lay there is because they believed that every so often an angel would stir the water. And when an angel would stir the water, the first person to get in would be miraculously healed. And so they are all there in a desperate situation because they're all there because they need to get healed. And so the sickest of the sick are there. If you had any other option, you would not be at this pool. So I'm imagining that this scene is pretty traumatizing. This is not like, Top five places to visit on your tour of ancient Jerusalem. This is like, don't go there. It stinks. It's traumatizing. It's ugly. And the people are desperate. But yet, where does Jesus go? Right there. Because he's not afraid of the mess. And he's not afraid of the sickness. And he's not afraid of the dysfunction. And he's not afraid of the disability. And the reason why he's not afraid of any of that is because he knew that he was greater than all of it. Come on. And so he shows up there in order to meet the people where they were, which is good news because no matter where you are in your life today, Jesus is showing up to you. Doesn't matter how broke you are, how hurt you are, how bitter you are, how dysfunctional you are, he just rocked up to where you are. And y'all came here with the hope that there might be a stirring of the waters for you. So Jesus comes to this place And he comes across one individual man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been there for, come on, 38 years, he asks him the strangest question. He says, do you want to get well? And I'm like, that's an insult, Like, if I'm the dude and I'm laying there for 38 years, I'm just gonna put that right there. If if I'm a dude and I'm laying there for 38 years and I'm there because I'm trying to get into the water so that I can be better, why in the world does this man come up there saying, do you wanna get better? Rude. But then he answers. Well, not really. Here's what he says. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else always gets in front of me. That is not an answer to the question that Jesus asked him. what Jesus say? Do you want to get well? The King James Version puts it a little bit more accurately, I think, for what the Greek actually means. The King James Version says, "Wilt thou be made whole? Or do you want to be whole? Do you want to be whole? And the man responds, well, I don't have anyone to help me. and Someone always gets in front of me. Do you know what he responds with? Excuses. Are they valid excuses? Yeah, they're valid. Dude can't walk. Like he has every right in the world to throw a pity party for himself. But Jesus did not ask him about his pity party. And he did not ask him why he's still there. And he did not ask him to excuse his dysfunction. Jesus said, do you really want to get better? Because the truth is, is that we don't always have a clear answer to that question. The truth is, is that Jesus shows up in our lives every day. And do you know what he says to us? The exact same question. He says, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be whole? And you know what some of us answer with? Well, let me tell you why I'm where I'm at. Let me tell you why I don't like my life as much as I should. Let me tell you about the people that hurt me. And by the way, I have a good reason for laying on the fricking mat for 38 years. And so don't judge me about my dirty mat because I have good reasons for being where I'm at. You know what we do? We justify our dysfunction. Because sometimes to be whole means that we have to confront some stuff that we have gotten comfortable with. Maybe my marriage is dysfunctional, but it's comfortable. We've learned how to survive. But that's not what Jesus asked you. Maybe your emotional, mental state of being is pretty dysfunctional, but you've learned how to cope. But that's not what Jesus asked you. Did you learn how to cope? Did you learn how to survive? Did you learn how to To not go under the water. Now, do you know what the question was? The question was, do you want to be whole? How many times do we answer with our excuses? Do you know why? Because our lack of wholeness lives deep inside of our hearts. And everything in our lives that is dysfunctional has a root attached to it. And that root is painful. Why am I dysfunctional? Well, we have as many answers to that question as there are people listening to the sound of my voice right now. But normally, it all goes back to the same place. Someone hurt me, the world beat me up, people took advantage of me, I made stupid decisions that I don't wanna have to face and deal with, and it all goes back to the same root. It's pain in there. And so do you know what I do with that pain, I'm so good at building a bunch of walls in front of that pain. A bunch of walls because I don't want to have to feel the pain. I don't want to have to feel the dysfunction, and I definitely don't have to deal with the real reasons why I have dysfunction to begin with. I would rather just blame everybody and everything else. Let me excuse my dysfunction rather than deal with my dysfunction. And I have these walls and they become these reinforced steel walls like a like a safe in a bank and they are locked shut and don't get behind my wall because it hurts back there and so instead of answering the question do I want to be whole instead what I'm going to tell you is what my wall looks like I don't have anyone to help me I was hurt in life. I didn't get the opportunities I should have gotten. The world wasn't fair to me. I made some stupid decisions that I don't want to own up to or deal with or admit. Wall, 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 wall. And Jesus says, that's not the question. The question is, do you want to be whole? But sometimes we don't answer the question because of our walls. Sometimes we don't answer our questions because... We're not really sure what Jesus is going to do. So we don't, we don't give him permission to do what he wants to do because we're not really sure what that's going to look like. And you know, we have, these, um, we have these preconceived ideas about what Jesus really wants to do about our mess. And, and listen, if I asked you the question, or the world, random people, the question, what do you think God's really trying to accomplish with your life? How would you answer it? You know what most people Answer that question with some form of, he wants me to clean myself up so that I'm somewhat somewhat acceptable to him. He wants me to uh, sin less. He wants me to be less of an idiot. He wants me to work hard to, to have it together. What's God really want from you What's God really want for you? Most of us would answer it something along the lines of he wants me to do better. And so when Jesus comes up and says, do you want to be whole? We hesitate because we think, I, I, don't, know, I don't know if I can fix myself enough to live up to the standard that you're putting in front of me. I went to a Christian high school and uh, we didn't talk much about the grace of Jesus. We talked a lot about what you should not be doing with your life. And you know what? Out of all the kids I graduated with, I think maybe two or three of them still have a relationship with Jesus. That's not to be judgmental, and I'm not pointing out their flaws. What I'm saying is, if you put a standard this high, no one will be ever able to reach it. But here's the truth. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And so, and so let, let, me, let me backtrack, and I'll get you there. So what's God really want? Some people say, well, God just wants me to be good. He wants me to do more good than my bad. He wants my good to outweigh my bad. And and if you ask random people, you know, like, are you going to go to heaven? Most people are going to say, yeah, I think so. And then if you ask the question, why do you think you're going to heaven? Here's what most people are going to say. Because in general, I'm a good person. Which means I didn't do that bad. It means that there are some things about my life that are probably in the plus column, and I think that God probably would see that the plus column outweighs the negative column. I had had a distant relative who years ago died, and I didn't really know him, but he did not have any real relationship with church or spirituality, and in fact, he had been an alcoholic basically his entire life, and eventually he died of alcoholism. And they called me up to ask me to do the funeral. And it was the first funeral I had ever done because I was a pretty young kid and I was in my early 20s. But I was the only person with any sort of pastoral thing that they knew. So they called me to come and do the funeral and I, I went and I did it. And afterwards, his widow comes up to me and she says, I just want you to know that there were some times where he gave money to the church down the street. And what she was really saying was, can you put in a good word for him with God? Because it wasn't all bad. He did some good things, and maybe if he would remind God of that, maybe God would have mercy on him. And so that goes into this way of thinking that we think, what does God ultimately want from you? And we think, well, he wants me to be better, right? But actually, Jesus said what he came to do, and he never once said that he came to make people better. Listen to what he said in Luke chapter 19. For the son of man, which is a a phrase that he used to describe himself, the son of man came, listen to this, to seek and to save the lost. Another translation says, to seek and to save that which was lost. See, he didn't come to make good people better, he came to save people that were lost. And salvation is not make you better, salvation is rescue you from imminent destruction. And so what's he coming to do? He's coming to look for people who have broken things in their lives, which is why he shows up to the pool of Bethesda, but he comes into that place in order to save what is lost. There are people who are lost. In other words, I was made for a relationship, but now I'm not in that relationship. I'm lost. I was made for relationship with my father, but my father and I have not associated for a long time. I'm lost, but Not only did he come for people who were lost, but he came for things that were lost. He came to seek and save that which was lost because all of us have things in our life that are lost. Pieces of our life that are still broken. And he came to find those, but he won't be able to find them if you keep them hidden behind five walls of reinforced concrete. It's not that he doesn't see it. He knows it's there, but you ain't letting him in but he came to save you. That word save in the Greek is the word sozo. And it doesn't just mean to save you from destruction, although it definitely means that because where does sin take you? Total destruction. And so he came to save you from your sins so that you wouldn't land in destruction. But sozo also means that he came to make you whole. He came to heal you, to put you back together again. He came, listen to this, to restore you back to the way that you were created to be. He came to take you back to Eden. He came to take you back to your heavenly state of being. Sozo, he made me whole. Which is why the question to the man is, do you want to be whole? Because that's what I came to do, make you whole. In, in Isaiah chapter 53, we are told about what Jesus was accomplishing for us when he died on the cross. And it says this, it was for our rebellious deeds that he was pierced. And because of our sins that he was crushed, listen to this. He endured the punishment that made us what? Completely whole. He was dying to save me from my sin, but that's not where the story ends. He died to save me from my sin so I could be whole. Mentally, emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually, whole. And in his wounding, I find my healing. He came to make me whole. Can came to make me whole. All right, so he saves us from our sins in order to restore us back to wholeness. But if we really lived this whole life, which the blood of Jesus accomplished for us, what would that look like? What would it be if we were actually whole? See, because when we talk about salvation and wholeness and restoration, really what we're talking about is God undoing all of the crap that's been done. But if I could just be who I was made to be, once all that stuff is undone, what's that look like? Because some of us go back to, I don't know, I'm like floating on a cloud and I have no no fun because my life is like buttoned up and I'm holy. Some people think, um, I don't really want that kind of wholeness because I don't think that it's gonna make me feel too good. Which is why we hesitate when God says, do you wanna be whole? What's that mean? My life's gonna be boring? and I'm gonna spend my whole life on my knees in a prayer service, right? What does he really want for me? What does that life really look like? Oh, we don't have to wonder. He tells us. Isaiah chapter 61, we read this last week, the first part of it, so I'm not gonna read it over again, but the beginning of the chapter talks about the restoration to wholeness. He heals, heals the brokenhearted. He comforts those who mourn. He, he replaces despair off of our lives. He brings good news to the places of our life that are lacking. He brings good news to the poor. He sets the captives free. He restores us back to wholeness. But once I'm restored back to wholeness, then what does my life look like? Here's what he says. Because you received a double dose of shame and dishonor. Wait, wait why did I receive a double dose of shame? Where's shame come from? Shame comes from, shame comes from all the crap that you've done that you know about. Because you know that you did it, and it makes you feel like a piece of garbage. And he's like, well, you've had the shame. Also, you've had the dishonor. What's the dishonor? The dishonor is all the times that other people hurt you. He said, you felt the shame. You've been screwed up. You've been screwed over. Dishonor. But I came to heal the brokenhearted and comfort those who mourn and restore you back to the righteousness that you were made for. And then he says, and so now that I have been your savior, now that I've taken you back to wholeness, here's what your life looks like now. Now you will inherit a double portion of endless joy and everlasting bliss. Where's God trying to take you? He's trying to take you to a place called joy because you've been made holy by the blood. You've been made righteous by a sacrifice. His broken body made you whole. He restored you and redeemed you and saved you. And now, now you can live the life you were made to live. However, so few of us ever really live that life. Do you know what he wants for you? Do you know what your intended state of being is? Wholeness, for sure. But what does wholeness look like? It looks like joy. Delight. Pleasure. Bliss. You know, I think God doesn't really show us exactly what heaven looks like. Because if you and I knew in detail what heaven looks like, we would be willing to do anything and everything in order to get there as soon as we could. Because it's so good. Oh, you're holy for sure. You are whole for sure. But you know what the preeminent feeling in heaven is? It's joy. But if Jesus is our savior today, I don't have to wait until heaven to experience joy. It goes on a couple verses later. It says, here's my response to his salvation in my life. I will sing and greatly rejoice in Yahweh. My whole being vibrates with shouts of joy in my God. Why, because he dressed me with salvation. He wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. My whole being vibrates with shouts of joy. It's not like a joy that I'm putting on or forcing on. It's just exploding from my soul. See, Jesus saved us from our sin for love so that we could live in endless joy. So how do we get there? Well, if you stick with me from now until Easter, we're gonna talk about how to get there. And between now and then, on the weeks that I'm preaching, we're gonna get to joy. You're gonna hear from some other people too who are gonna do some great things in the next few weeks. But listen, we're going to get to joy if you want to go there. But, but how do we get there? All right, got to go back to the dude at Bethesda. Because Jesus sees him lying there in that condition for 38 years, and he asks them a question, do you really want it? Here's where I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you to wholeness. And if you would go there with me, it's going to land you in joy. But my question is, do you really want it? He says, John 5, verse 6, do you want to get well? And what did he say? He says, well, here's all the reasons why I'm not well, and here's all the reasons why I'm not going to stay, where, why I am staying the way that I have been. And then Jesus looks him in the eye, and I love this. He disregards all the excuses. I mean, you can tell God your excuses, but he's not prone to respond to them. He doesn't respond to the excuses. Instead, he looks him dead in the eye, and he says, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Notice that Jesus did not pick him up. That what Jesus did was say the word you can be whole now because your savior has shown up in your mess, but he didn't get him up. It was up to the man to decide whether or not he was gonna take God at his word and actually stretch out his legs and get up. Which is the same choice that you and I have every day of our lives. We have that choice every day of our lives. Do you want to get whole? Do you know what the answer to that sometimes is? It's easier to stay on the mat. Because then I don't have to try. And I can sit around and blame everybody else for what I don't like about my life. And you know what the world tells you? You're a victim. If you want things to be better, you ought to blame everyone else and tell them that they all got to fix themselves. But Jesus looks at you and says, I've given you the power to get well. Now it's up to you whether or not you use it. You want to blame, or you want to stretch out your legs and walk? You want to find reasons to excuse your dysfunction, or do you want to pick up your mat and walk? See, picking up your mat would be a challenging ordeal in this situation. Dude's been there for how long? 38 years. years. He has no one to help him get into the pool, which tells me that dude has not taken a shower for 38 years either. Also, where does he go to the bathroom? He not have any friends. I'm thinking that mat is all kinds of nasty. And Jesus is like, get up and clean up your mess and get out of here. Pick up your mat and walk. And what's the dude gotta do? He's gotta decide whether or not he's gonna take the risk to believe that Jesus can actually make him better. But what's he do? Oh, he takes the risk. And he looks down at his legs. They ain't worked for 38 years. And he hears the voice of Jesus. And he says, maybe I don't have to stay here any longer. Maybe I don't need to spend one more day in my little pity party. Maybe, maybe I have a Savior. And he takes that leg, he looks at it, and he hears the voice of God, and he starts stretching that thing out. And to his shock and amazement, it moves. And then he picks up his other leg, and it moves. And he gets up on his feet, and he's standing for the first time in 38 years. He bends down, picks up the crap, and he moves on into a whole life. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And what I'm telling you is that just like Jesus spoke the word 2,000 years ago, he's still speaking the word today. That because of his blood, we have our healing and our wholeness. But many of us have come up with a long list of reasons as to why we're going to stay in our dysfunction. And this story tells me three things. First, I can't be whole if my main goal is comfort. Is it more comfortable to stay where you've been for 38 years, even though you're lying in a pile of crap? Or is it more comfortable to take God at his word and dare to get up out of it? I'll tell you what comfort is. Comfort's staying where you are. And we live in a world, and I'm telling you, we have to be countercultural. We live in a world that tells you that if there is anything at all that makes you uncomfortable, you better get rid of it. And if there's any anyone that makes you uncomfortable... You better shout them down and cancel them and ignore them and get them out of your life. And you know what? A lot of you are in your dysfunction because you have purposefully gotten rid of every friend you had who would dare challenge your dysfunction. You know why? Because it's easier to stay on the mat. Who do you, who do you think you are telling me That what's going on in my life could be better. Oh man, God, send people into my life who can challenge me. Send people into my life who can expose the math that I'm lying on. Oh, it does not feel good. So how loyal are you going to be to your comfort? See, because you can opt out of what God wants to do in your life at any time you want to. Because God will promote you and propel you. It is his design but it comes with a cost and the cost is always your comfort. Some of you are recycling patterns of dysfunction that your family modeled for you and you know that it ain't right but you won't get out of it because in order to get out of it, You're going to have to open up the locked prison cell around your heart and deal with the things that are in there and confront it in order to say, I'm going to live free. I'm going to live whole. And I'm not going to stay in dysfunction when my father saved me for joy. I can't be whole. I got to be quick. I can't be whole if I prioritize safety over risk. Was it a risk? Oh, it was a risk. Let me tell you. If your number one goal in life is to stay safe, you will be content to lay on a mat of crap. Safety requires you to take a risk and to get off the mat. Third thing, this story tells me I can't have joy until I'm ready to go to war with my dysfunction. I have got to be ready to go to war with my dysfunction. I need to say that again. You've got to be ready to go to war with your dysfunction. But it's going to require you to look inside of your heart and say, where's my mat? I'm not staying here any longer. So let me tell you the title of my series. Because here's what we're about to do. We're going to go to war and we're gonna to go to war against our dysfunction. And do you know why? Because the joy that our Father saved us for is worth it. And here's the way I want you to understand joy. I want you to understand that joy, yes, it is bliss. Yes, it is pleasure. Yes, it comes along with the emotion of happiness. And yes, you will not be content until you've lived in joy because you were made to live in joy, and your soul knows that you were made for joy, and your soul is frustrated about anything in your life that is preventing you from living in joy. But in order to get there, I have to wage war against the things that are keeping me from it. And so the title of my series is The Violent Protests of Joy. That joy is my ground that I take. Joy is the protest I make, and I'm not afraid to wage some more because I have decided tonight that I'm not spending one more hour on the mat full of crap when I've got a savior who told me I could be whole, when I've got a savior who said instead of my shame, I could have a double portion of joy. Joy, let me, let me, tell, you, let me tell you what joy is. Joy is a violent protest against the savage wounds begging me to choose defeat. What wounds are, what wounds are begging you to choose defeat tonight? We're gonna wage war. Oh, it might be a process. It might take some time. You might need some therapy. You might need to, hey, you might need to confront some things that you don't wanna confront. And you might have to give God permission to change some things that you're pretty committed to. So, I gotta, before we get the whole way into the series, I gotta give you a couple truths that we just gotta start with tonight. Just the taste. Here's, here's, this is gonna get us to joy. You gonna come with me? In between now and Easter, we're gonna go to joy. You coming with me? All right, first thing, first truth that you need to know right off the bat you will get wounded. This is not a happy one. Is this world fair? Does everyone in this world treat you right? Do people hurt you? Do you hurt yourself? Every single one of us can answer yes to all of those questions. And if we fail to, we're just not being honest. You will get wounded. This life will hurt you. And we have learned tragically in this generation To avoid anything that hurts. And do you know what that has made us? A chronically anxious society. Avoid anything that hurts. Because we prioritize safety and comfort above all other things. I'm telling you, that is not the road to joy. You will get wounded. And so you have to have, right off the bat, a theology that allows you to understand that life is going to hurt sometimes. Sometimes because if you don't understand that life is gonna hurt, you are going to freak out and melt into a pile of rubble every time that something hurts. And you will be weak, and you will never step into your destiny. You will get wounded. But if God is a good God, and if God loves his kids, and if God is all supreme, and if God is all sovereign, why in the world, why in the world does he let us live in a life where we get wounded? It doesn't seem fair. But the truth is, is that God made a decision when he created humanity. He made you for love. He made you out of love, he made you by love, and he made you for love. And the thing that he wants from you is love. And so he created you with the capacity to choose relationship with him. Perfect love. And if God wanted us to love, it required that he give us free will. Because if I have no choice, it is not love. Love without choice, well, we have a word for that in our society. Do you know what that word is? Abuse. Love with no choice. That is abuse. God created you for love, which meant that he had to give you choice. And I'm telling you that in the last, you know, few billions of people that have lived on this planet in the time of human history, every single one of us have used our free will in terrible ways. We have not chosen love every time. We have chosen some terrible things instead. And as a result, we live in a world that is far from what God intended in this life. People will hurt you and you will hurt yourself because people have free will. You will get wounded. Number two is even harder to swallow. God does not shield you from all pain. God does not send pain God does not send, I believe, God does not send bad things to happen to you. God is not the author or the designer of bad things. God didn't create cancer. God didn't create sickness. God doesn't want children to die. God doesn't want anyone to die. God did not create the world to operate according to those systems. But yet he gave us free will and evil entered the scene because we stepped into it. And as a result, we live in a planet and in a generation and in a society that is deeply corrupt. Deeply corrupt. So why doesn't God shield us from the pain then? For those of us who love him, why aren't we shielded from the pain? Two reasons. One, God's not gonna violate people's free will. He gave us free will. And he won't violate it, why? Because he knew that he had to make a decision to give people free will if he wanted to give us the capacity for love. And God made a decision. But think about it this way. He had to say, either I create a world With free will and pain, or I create a world with no free will, but nothing ever goes wrong. And in his perfect understanding, he knew that a world with love was better than a world without it. Even if it meant there'd be pain in the process. So God won't override free will because he wants love. And he still gives you the capacity for love. Second reason why God doesn't shield you from all pain is because he's a good father. And sometimes it requires resistance for us to develop strength. See, you won't learn the strength that you have inside of you until you have to use a strength that you didn't know you had. You won't learn that you've got character that won't be taken under until you've been faced with something that tries to take you under. You won't learn that you've got wisdom to navigate difficult circumstances until God lets you walk through a difficult circumstance. And the truth is, is that if God is a good father, he won't shield you from all pain. My daughter Anne. London, my little eight-year-old girl, her hair gets so natty and and like messed up and like tangled, and you know, every morning we have to brush that thing out, and she screams the whole time. Stop, stop, stop! I'm like, what do you want? Do you want to feel the pain of getting your hair brushed, or do you want to have to shave your head off? Like those are your choices, right? Those are your choices. And the truth is, is that God is a good father, which sometimes means He's going to allow you to go through some tough stuff, but yet. He knows that it can't kill you, but it will make you stronger. And I wanna be the kind of person that gets to the end of my life, like in my 90s, hopefully. And people look at me and they say, that dude faced down some hell. He stormed the gates of hell with his life but he has more peace than anyone I've ever met. And he has more joy than anyone I've ever encountered. And he has a stability and a confidence that nothing can shake. And the truth is, the only way I'm gonna be like that when I'm 90 is if I develop it when I'm 40. You've got to go through some stuff in order to discover what's inside of you. So don't get mad at God when things hurt. Realize that it's an opportunity for you to rise up with strength, rise up with power, rise up with confidence. But what's really good, what's really good is that God doesn't just leave you wounded. No God promised that he would do something in response to your wounds. And do you know what he promised he would do in response to your wounds? He said he would redeem it. He didn't say He'd shield you from it, but he said he'd redeem it. God redeems wounds and turns them into strength. I went through some hell, but I got something better on the other side. I went through some trauma, but I developed strength on the other side. I was talking to someone a few weeks back, this is crazy. And they were married to to an addict. And the marriage ended, the husband is still in active addiction. And she looked at a few people who were in the room together and she said, I'm so thankful for addiction. And I'm like, I don't ever want to hear those words. And she said, because if I hadn't gone through addiction, I wouldn't have learned who I really am. God will redeem it and he'll use it for good. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and in hardships in persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong. (laughs) I got to wrap it up. Last couple of truths. Number four. Number four, wounds don't have to be fatal. They don't have to you see you decide whether or not your wound's gonna take you out. You decide. You're the only one who can decide whether or not your wounds gonna take you out. Wounds don't have to be fatal, and here's why. Number five: Because the enemy can't kill you. The enemy can't kill you. Do you know why? Because if you put your faith in Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and inside of you. If you put your faith in Jesus, you've got the resurrection power of Jesus living inside of you. What's the enemy going to do? If the enemy takes out your physical body, you just go to heaven. He can't kill you. He can't kill you because Jesus ended death for you. That's what the resurrection is, the end of death. He canceled death for anyone who would receive it. So the enemy can't kill you. But sometimes you believe the opposite of that. Sometimes you think this is gonna take me out. This is gonna end my life. This is gonna be the worst thing that ever happens and I'm not gonna survive this. You think that way. Do you know why? Because you don't understand that the enemy can't kill you. But here's what he does. He wounds you in order to convince you to give up. He cannot stop you. He cannot kill you. So what he does Is tries to hurt you so that you decide to give up yourself. Stay on the mat. Stay on the mat. It's too hard to get up. The joy that he's got for you ain't worth it. It's risky, it's gonna cost you your comfort. Stay on the mat. And the enemy tells you that a million times a day. Stay in your dysfunction. And so when the Savior of the world looks you in the eye and says, you want to be made whole? You have second thoughts. Number six, worship team, y'all need to come up. The strength it requires to live in a state of joy can only be developed on the battlefield. The violent protest of joy. I learned how to be I learned how to be at peace. I learned how to be whole. I learned how to have joy. Because I had to. Love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'm gonna close with this. They did everything right. Followed God, were faithful to God. They had resistance and opposition. And you know what they did? They stayed true to God anyways. And yet still they ended up being thrown into a fiery furnace, which was an instrument of execution. How fair is that? How's that for good theology? I did everything right, and I still landed in the fire. King Nebuchadnezzar, who threw them in the fire, takes a look and realized, there's not three dudes in the fire, there's a fourth one. And he says, it looks like a son of God. Because it was Jesus with them in the fire. See, they didn't say, why'd you keep me from the fire? They said, thank God that when I was in the fire, you were there too. They come out of the fire because the fire couldn't kill them. You know why the fire couldn't kill them? Because Jesus was in there with them. Because it can't kill you. They come out of the fire and King Nebuchadnezzar's falling over. Like, what the heck's going on? And he looks at them and he's like, your clothes didn't burn up. Your hair didn't get singed. The only thing that burned up in the fire were the shackles that were tied around their hands, keeping them bound up. And the same is true for you. I went through the fire, but it made me free. I went through the fire and I realized the God of joy was in there with me. And then I love this. And then the king says, you all don't even smell like fire. And I'm like, that's the word of God for me. I went through the fire, but I came out the other side and I didn't stink like the mess I didn't stink like the pain. I didn't stink like the trauma that I went through. I came out on the other side knowing I had a savior with me the whole time. He's a God of Joy. He's a God who preserves me and sustains me. He's a God who makes me whole, Oh, and He's a God of Joy. Because I went through the fire and that's where I learned how to dance. I went through the fire and that's where I learned how to laugh. I went through the fire and that's where I learned how to smile, because it was in the fire that I learned a joy that no fire could steal from me. So do you want to go with me to joy? Come on, let's take a ride. Let's go to joy, but well, we're going to have to wage some more the violent protests of joy. We're going to sing a song. I'm releasing it to you. And I asked the team to sing this song tonight. Because some of you, you've got bitterness, you've got resentment towards other people, towards God. You're frustrated about the fire that you're in right now. And tonight, the word of God to you is this, let it go. Let it go, trust me with it. Release it to me. Some of you are in a really hellish experience and circumstance. So we've got a team down here at City, also at South, who are prepared to pray for you. And if you are going through it and you need someone to pray for you, come on down as we sing this song. And people are gonna gently pray, do some ministry over you. And I'm telling you earlier today when that happened, people were set free from bitterness and unforgiveness. People were set free from resentment and confusion. People were set free from this blockage in their heart that was keeping them from what God had for them. So as we sing this song, we're gonna do some business with God. Come now if you want prayer. But for the rest of us, come on, can we worship together and offer our pain to God, offer our circumstances to Him? Come on, let's give it up to Him.